0: book of 1 Corinthians, but we're going to take a, a short pause this week and we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 2. So I invite you to, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 and we'll take a look at, well, kind of like Paul Harvey would say, the, the rest of the story in regards to the Christmas story. So as we look, as we see the book of Matthew, it's it's neat as we consider all that, that God lays out for us in His Word. It's The book of Matthew is written portraying to you and I the coming of the king. All throughout the scripture, there was a promise that the king was coming, the king was coming, the king was coming. And Matthew stands up and presents Jesus Christ as that promised king. It's interesting though, as we finish the the gospel of Matthew, we discover that Jesus never takes his throne. There's a reason for that. He's coming back to do that. And the return of the king, when the king returns, comes back, sets up his throne and rules and reigns. That's the day, folks. That's the day when all this stuff in our world that's so upside down will finally be right side up. But until that time, you and I, we're looking for the return of the king. Now, at the time of Matthew chapter 2, they were looking for the king in the first place. Where is the king? We're, we're caught in this place where we're... we're, uh, we're under oppression we're under the oppression of roman rule they're under the oppression uh, prior to that of, of every powerful kingdom that came through it just seemed like they that from the time of captivity when they went to babylon till this time they've been floundering they've been floundering the lord had been silent for 400 years for 400 years they were waiting and wondering and and it, It just seemed like this feeling that something was coming, something was about to happen was right on the tips of everyone's tongue. Something special, something's coming, something's going on. And as we consider that, we look in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, she uh, she, before she had come together, was found to be with the child of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins by the way jesus is yehoshua in the in the hebrew jesus in the greek it means god is salvation and he will save your people from their sins and he goes on and says then so all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet." By the Lord, through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin will conceive a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, what? God with us. Everybody on the tip of their tongue, something's happening. Something special is coming. Something different. They just had this feeling all throughout. The ancient writers of that time were writing, something is different about this time. Well, it was a time like no other time. It was a fulfillment of a promise that God gave in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God told Adam and Eve at their fall, at the beginning of sin, when sin was born and brought forth death for the first time on the planet, God said that he would send... Something special, someone able to remove the sins that Adam, the first Adam, had brought. God said it would be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, Satan, who had caused the fall. And so from Genesis, can you imagine? From Genesis, man waited. We see when... When Eve had her first child, she said, well, now I have a man. I have, I've, the Lord gave me a man, and she called his name Cain. That didn't work out so good, right? She was hoping that Cain was the promise, the fulfillment. Hey, here's the one. But no, Cain turned out to be the, the first murderer in the Bible. And generation after generation passed... And Father would tell His sons and His daughters, He would teach them and say, God promised us that He would take away all our sin. And so He instituted this sacrificial system. And in this sacrificial system, an innocent being pays a price for our sin. And we're looking forward to that time when God's going to remove all that. When He's going to take it all away. Generation after generation passed. Hundreds of years Thousand. And then we come to this day. That time. I want to remind you as you consider this special time. That in our world today. There are a lot of people looking around this world saying something has got to happen. Something is coming. Something is going on. But you know the church has been saying for 2,000 years. Jesus is coming back. And he hasn't come yet. Look, Peter would write in his epistle, he would say, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering, desiring that no one should perish. God's desire is that all would come to know him. But the day is coming when Jesus Christ will return. And he will set up his kingdom. And things are going to change. And so we look with expectancy to the return of Christ primarily. We look with expectancy to the return of Christ in the in the rapture, calling for his church, calling his church home. And then for Jesus to set up his kingdom seven years later after the tribulation period. Yet the world still today looks with expectancy something has got to happen. We can't stay in this spiral that we're in. It can't always be this way. And so they look with expectancy. As we consider that, let's go back to that that first night, that night so long ago, when Jesus came the first time. And we get together and we celebrate the season, Christmas. I love Christmas. Christmas, I can even be nice. It's easy for me to be nice. Usually I'm ornery. But Christmas time, I can be nice. I go to the mall and I sit in a line, 7 million cars long, just to have an opportunity to park and spend some money. And I'll sit there and think, well, it's once a year. What's the big deal? Somebody's trying to get in over here. I do the Idaho thing. I let them in. They don't do that in California. So we let him in and we, we have this attitude, but sometimes our attitude can switch, can it? Sometimes our attitude switches in Christmas time to what am I going to get? But Christmas was always about something else. It was always about the gift. The gift that a, a, a father of his son. And John 3.16, God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. He gave, and God in the flesh came, incarnate, born of a virgin, right? Born of a virgin, you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us, God, very God in human flesh. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yehoshua means God is salvation, so God is going to save his people from their sins. That's what this time is all about. That's what this opportunity is. The greatest gift ever given well we know that part of the story we know so often those things that attitude we want to have and ex- exuding through our life but maybe we don't know the rest of the story maybe we don't consider all those things when we sit together like like uh you know during christmas time we sing all the christmas carols right we sing the christmas carols we sing silent night but you know the nights weren't always silent after the birth of christ We sing songs in in celebration of that gift. But we need to remember that there was someone else present, looking, watching, expecting the Messiah. Because when God told that promise to to Adam and Eve, there was someone else there. You remember? Satan. And ever since that moment, Satan has, has tried to extinguish the flame of the Messiah. And he would narrow his efforts down each time God gave a prophecy. Remember, Satan wasn't sitting back with the Bible. He had to learn it just like everybody else as God revealed it to his people. Satan's not all-knowing. He only knows the things as God reveals those things. And so when he found out that the seed would come through Abraham, he focused on Abraham. When that whittled down to Israel, he focused in further on Israel. When he heard that the Messiah would come from Judah, he focused in on that. And in Matthew chapter 2, he focused in on a place. The place where Jesus was supposed to be born. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men from the east, the Magi. Now, we have traditions in the church, don't we? Our tradition says there are three wise men. That, that's because way back in the, in the fourth century and then later on in the, in the 16th, the church got together and had these names put together of these. They actually have names for the guys who were the three wise men. Whether they're officially the, the three wise men who gave the three gifts or not, we don't know. But we know there were more than three. The Magi would travel in a, in a huge caravan. There would have been a great number of people coming. So these guys are coming. They're coming to Jerusalem, it says, these wise men from the east. Now, when you keep that in mind, folks, when we talk about the east, one of the things we need to consider east of Jerusalem is this little place where they've had a lot of problems in history. It it was where the Tower of Babel was, was first built. It was where the children of Israel would spend the first day's of the first times of their captivity, as they would be sent there to Babylon. But also, while you're considering these wise men, I want you to think of one more thing. There's a book in the Bible devoted to a man who was called greatly beloved of God, who went to that land hundreds of years prior. And while he was there, he rose to be the second in command. He was so important to the people around him that he became the chief or the captain of the Magi, the captain of the wise men. His name was Daniel. And he would spend his entire career in that city training up the wise men, the soothsayers, the astrologers. Those who were to be the the ones who would go to the king and advise the king. There was Daniel for his entire life. And now, all of a sudden, hundreds of years later, we have these fellows coming. These wise men from the east, these magi, coming to Jerusalem, wondering, wondering what's going on. Something special has happened. And somehow, they knew about it. And the first question in the New Testament, guys, in in verse 2. They came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where's the king? He's been born. Where's the king? The first question. The first question in the Old Testament. God was walking, looking for Adam. And he said, Adam, where are you? First question of the New Testament. The wise men saying, Where is the second Adam? Jesus Christ. Where's the king? Where's he born? King of the Jews. Have you ever seen someone born king? Most of the time they're born a prince, aren't they? Or they're born in line of the king, but he's born the king. This is the promise. This is the one. He's here. And these wise men from the east, how did they know? How did they know this time to come and to look for him? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him why would they come to worship a king because they knew this king was a fulfillment of a promise in scripture the one named emmanuel god with us we're coming to worship this king we want to worship him and they saw his star a specific star what's going on folks When Daniel was there, not everybody agrees with this, but this is how I feel about it. While Daniel was there, as he's teaching the wise men, he's teaching them the scriptures. He had the Pentateuch, five books of the Bible. He had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had the Old Testament. We say the Old Testament, oh, yes. Kills me to read that. 500 names I can't even say. I look at this and, Yet Daniel, Daniel was able to teach some wise guys from a long ways away. He's able to teach them. And hundreds of years later, somehow that filtered down to these guys, knowing that the Messiah had been born. Doesn't that blow you away? Does it not blow you away that God was able to reveal himself, not to the Jews. He revealed himself to these wise men. And they came. To worship. And they understood so much about the work of Messiah that, that his own people didn't even realize or recognize. Here they come. Here they come. There was a guy, his name is Thomas Hyde. In, uh, in 1703, he discovered writings of an ancient religion of the Persians. A writer named, I'm going to mess up his name here, I'll do my best. Abu Fa'agius from about 1226 B.C., who wrote about a pupil of Daniel named Zoaraster, an ancient Persian mystic. He said that Daniel founded a, a sect called the Magi, the ancient astronomers of Persia. Some of their beliefs show up in the Zendavesta, one notable one being that there will be a star that will occur in the sign of Virgo. We know Virgo as the Virgin. That's not the Hebrew name. Do you know that in Psalms 19, the, God declared that the, the mission, the work, everything that God was doing in the redemption of man could be seen in the stars? Told in the names of the stars. Passed down from generation to generation, the Hebrews would name the stars and they would go through the story of God's redemption of men as they taught the stars to their children. Now, I'm not talking about seeing their future. I'm not talking about that weird thing you open up to in a newspaper and it tells you whether or not you're going to have a good day, all that junk. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the names of the stars and what they did. Well, here this ancient writing, now this ancient writing is not the Bible, I'm just saying, This ancient writing says that that Daniel had taught some of these things to these guys, and he told them that in the Virgin, in Virgo, there would be a star. In that constellation, there would be a star that would announce the birth of the king. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that they would see that star, and they would say, "Well, look back here, way back here. The guy who started this order, his name was Daniel. He told us that that star, how did he know? Oh, well, that's easy to find out. We can turn in Numbers. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24, we're introduced to this wacky character in the Old Testament. I love Old Testament. This wacky character's name is Balaam. Balaam did his best. Check this out. Balaam did his best to, to curse God's people. He was a prophet of God. He's trying to curse God's people for money. You remember Balaam? He's a guy who, whose donkey stopped in front of the angel. And he's beating the donkey, and the donkey said, why are you beating me? And, and, and then Balaam, he's so mad, he doesn't even freak out that his donkey's talking. He answers him back. I'm beating you because you stopped. What would you stop for? Because there's an angel with a sword, and he's going to lop off your head if we keep going. And so Balaam, he begs, oh, please let me go. I want my house full of gold. And so... The angel lets him pass. And he says, only say the things that God tells you to say. So in Numbers 24, we see the prophecies of Balaam. And as Balaam lays out these prophecies, keep in mind, this is a guy who wants to curse God's people. He's all about the money. He's not really about anything else. He's, en- he's going to end up dying, perishing in a war. He, he, but yet he was gifted. God used him, and he's going to speak. In chapter 24, verse 17, he said, I see him. But not now I behold him, but not near a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. He says, listen, I see him, but not yet. I behold him, but not near. And he says, a star will come out of Jacob. Jacob was always to the east of the tabernacle. A star will come out of the east. A star that's going to announce the fact that the king has been born. And these guys, Daniel, looking at these scriptures, these scriptures were available to him, teaching them to the wise men, trying to lead them that this wisdom that we seek is not found in our own ability, but in leaning to the truth of God and his word. Leaning to him, Daniel was able to interpret dreams. Why? Because he's so smart. No, because God gifted him with the ability to interpret dreams. Daniel was such an amazing character in the Scripture, and yet we see Numbers chapter 24 telling us that there's going to be a star, that the star is going to come. And they saw his star, and they traveled to Jerusalem. Why? Where else would a king be born? Right? I mean, if you're going to be a king, you're going to be born in Jerusalem. That's, That's where the throne of David is. So they went to Jerusalem, and they come in, and Herod, who wasn't even a Jew, he was an Edomite, he sits on the throne, he took that throne through, through bribery, he becomes king, he's so worried that the Jews are going to throw him out that he, he rebuilds their temple, he does this, this whole uh, remodel of the temple, he's known as Herod the Great, he built all kind of incredible things that are still standing today, if you go to Israel, but it was said of him by the, by the Roman Caesar that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son because Herod killed his son and he killed his wife and he killed anybody else that he thought was going to try to take his throne and now here comes this big caravan of wise men seeing a star realizing that the scripture said the star was going to announce the coming king so they go to Jerusalem and say where is he? Where's the king? Surely in Jerusalem where the scriptures are founded, where the priests are, where they gather together and pray and sacrifice, where they lean to the word of God, surely they know their king has been born. But they didn't know. They didn't know. The scriptures had only become words on a page. Just words on a page. A thing we do wasn't real. It it wasn't something they used to guide their lives. And so... They're kind of blown away that these guys are there. And so when Herod the king in verse 3 heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem's troubled. They're like, oh, what? What? The king? The king's been born? So Herod, he's, he's kind of freaking out a little bit. And he says, now when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he asked them, where is the Christ supposed to be born? Wait a minute. He knew exactly who they said when they said a king's been born, right? Herod said, where is the Mashiach Nagib supposed to be born? Where is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod knows who he's going after. He knows who this is. Where is he supposed to be born? And the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the Scriptures. It says that they looked... So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah 5.2 They looked and they said, Man, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now about this time, with all this excitement and all this stuff going on, if I'm there, I'm packing my bags and I'm going. Bethlehem is six miles away. Six miles. It doesn't, wouldn't take very long. They had donkeys that could go like 10, 12 miles an hour. So they could get there in a half an hour. Hey, they would be able to, but they don't move. They don't budge. They don't care. They don't care. They look at the scriptures and they see, but you see, it was just words on a page. It's just stories. It's just tradition. It's just this thing. And and it it wasn't alive to them. And so they just tell him. They just tell him what he wants to know. Why? They have head knowledge. They hadn't moved the other 12 inches from the head to the heart. Where they look at the word and they say, oh yeah, there's good things and great teachings, good teachings, but... But, you know, it's not God's word. It hadn't gone from the head to the heart. It's just in the head. They had the head knowledge, but no relationship. They had tradition, but that was it. Just a tradition. Well, the story goes on. It says, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star had appeared. Now, we don't know exactly what they said. We assume they said two years ago. Could have been a year, could have been a few months. That we're not told at the year. But but as we consider that, as you think about that, hold your finger there and turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we have laid out for us... Micah 5, verse 2, the actual prophecy that was given. Now, you may wonder as we look at these things, when we look at quotations in the New Testament, sometimes they're not exactly the same as they are in the Old Testament. Why is that? The Old Testament is written in the Hebrew. It's, it is translated from the Hebrew. And that's what we have is the Old Testament. The New Testament is translated from the Greek. And all the New Testament prophecies or references back are translated from the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So that's why they're slightly different. Word or two, because one's a translation of Hebrew, one's a translation of the Greek. Why is that important? Well, maybe it's not. Useless trivia in case you're playing Bible trivia sometime. We look at Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. He says, The one who is supposed to be born is everlasting. There's only one everlasting person that I know that's God. Whose going forth, his, his, the fact that he exists. Actually, in the Hebrew, it says he existed beyond the vanishing point. That means as far back as I can remember, I remember all the way back and then infinitely further than that. That's what that word everlasting means. He's saying, listen, to be born in Bethlehem is God incarnate in the flesh. The Old Testament prophecies told him that. They even recite that in Matthew chapter 2. They left off the part where he's supposed to be Almighty God because they weren't concerned with that. What did he ask them? Where is he supposed to be born? What did he tell them? Where is he supposed to be born? So, Herod talks to the wise men. When did you see the star? And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. What a bunch of hogwash. Isn't that just like the devil? He can sound holy, can he? He can sound righteous. He can sound good. But it's just a big lie. I'm going to come worship? No. We know what he's going to do, don't we? We know what Herod is going to accomplish on this night. And nobody's going to be seeing Silent Night. No one's going to be thinking about that because all they're going to hear is screams of terror. Why? Why? It's the promised one, the Messiah, the King. He's born. He's here. He's in Bethlehem. Herod, it's a six-mile trip. Go see him. He is supposed to be God incarnate in the flesh, and he's there in Bethlehem. Go see him. Scribes and Pharisees, you just read the Scripture about it. Go and see him. But nobody goes. But this caravan of wise men, this caravan of wise men, they continue... So it says, when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. We have this idea that it was a star that led them to Jerusalem. No, they saw the star. They realized that star is announcing the birth of the Messiah, God in the flesh. They went to Jerusalem and then the star appears again. And now the star leads them to the place. Where was that place? here's where tradition is going to mess with our noodles. Because we say that that place was in Bethlehem, because Bethlehem's where He was born. But that might not be where He was. Bethlehem is where He was born. But in Luke chapter 2, guys, we know that they were in Bethlehem eight days after the baby was born, because the baby was circumcised in accordance with the law. And we know that they were there 40 days after the baby was born, because at that point... He was taken in dedication to the temple. And the next verse after that in Luke says, and they departed and went to Nazareth. It's possible that they were already in Nazareth at the time when the the wise men came. They might have been in Bethlehem. We don't know, and it's not going to tell us. Scriptures aren't going to say. What it does say is the wise men found him because the star led them to the place. And he's not in the manger anymore. It's probably been at least a year since he was born. Could be possibly two years since he was born. And so the wise men following the stars, it went before them. It came and stood over where the young child was. No longer is he a baby. Now he's a young child. And so they come. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because, listen, they came, they asked, they were told Bethlehem, and then instead of trying to search all through Bethlehem, what did they see? The star. And the star, what did it do? Took them to the house. When's the last time a star took you anywhere? I, I wouldn't even know how to have a star take me someplace. I have no idea. If you put me in the open sea and said, like all those, those old movies where the sailors say, oh, go look at the stars, see where we're going. <laughs> Unless they shine on a sign in the middle of the ocean saying, you know, Hawaii, that way, I'm, I have no idea. I don't have any idea. But they understood that star took them to the exact house. That's a work of God. That's God guiding. That's God directing. Bringing them to the exact place where the young child was. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and what? Worshipped him. The Bible teaches us that only one is deserving of worship. Who? God. Jesus receives worship, therefore he is God. Almighty Father everlasting god those are some of the names that the old testament gives to jesus to emmanuel god with us so they fall down and they worship him now that's not a trip to mary is it because mary knows this little baby that i'm holding this young child whose hand i have grasped whose whose skinned knees i i fix whose tears i wipe away this young child is almighty god And these wise men come in and they fall down on their faces before him and worship. Man, what an incredible thing that must have been to be a fly on the wall in this house. Not that manger scene that we have on our TV or around the tree. But it's okay. It still helps us teach the story, doesn't it? It's all right. Don't don't shirk all tradition. Just don't hold on to tradition like it's true. Hold on to the word of God. It's true. And it'll, it'll guide us and lead us and show us the truth. Well, let's look what happens. And so they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, so they gave him more than these. They opened their treasures, this big caravan. They opened up all these treasures and they presented with him these three gifts that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write. They presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know that there's nothing in the Word of God that's there on accident or that is not important. I look at things, that I read the Bible, I try to read the Bible with, with open eyes. God, what are you trying to say? What's the, what's the purpose? Where is Jesus in this? Because Jesus said the whole all the Scriptures, they speak of him. They talk about him. So we see three gifts the first three gifts ever given probably at least a year after the time that Jesus was born and unfortunately folks probably not on December 25th but I don't know when since I don't know when it's okay that it's December 25th do you know why it's okay because in John chapter 8 Jesus celebrated Hanukkah Hanukkah is not a feast in the Old Testament It's not one of the celebrations that the children of Israel were demanded to be a part of, but Jesus celebrated it. So if Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, I could celebrate Christmas. It's okay. What's Christmas about? It ain't about what kind of sales I can get and how many gifts I can receive. It's about the story of God, the King, being born to save His people from their sins. That's what it's about. And as long as that's what it's about, you can celebrate it on December 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th. You can celebrate it every single day of the year. Doesn't matter. But these guys, they came. Who they give the gifts to? It wasn't that they received gifts. Who they give the gifts to? They gave the gifts to Jesus. The gift of gold. Gold was a gift for a king. You gave him gold. Frankincense. Frankincense was a gift for a priest. But the third gift is a little interesting, isn't it? You know how they get myrrh? They crush it. They crush a plant to develop the spice of myrrh. And when they make this spice, they use it for one thing. Do you know? Anointing the dead. Wait a minute. You mean these wise men that traveled from the east, probably Babylon. Nobody can argue that it's not that place. They come to this land, not only do they know that the king has been born, but when they go to him, they know what he's going to do. How would they possibly know to give him myrrh? How would they possibly know to give this one just born a year, year and a half, two years old, how would they know to give him a gift for the anointing of the dead? Because Daniel told him in Daniel chapter 9, That the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, would be cut off. Cut off. In the Hebrew, the word is kafar. He'd be cut off. He'd be put to death for a capital crime. That's what the word means. He would be cut off from the land of the living. Messiah came to die. And so when these guys came and they found this child, they gave him gold because he is the once and future king. And so they gave him gold. They came and they gave him frankincense. Why? Because he, according to the book of Hebrews, is our high priest. He always lives to make intercession for you and I. What is intercession? How is it pictured in the Old Testament? The offering of incense rising up to the heavens to God, the prayers of the saints. And they knew to give Him myrrh. Because apparently, at least for these guys who came, the Word of God was more than words on a page. When they read Daniel chapter 9, the fact that Messiah would come, but that He would not remain, that He would die, that He would go to the Father... If they studied all that Daniel wrote, they would realize he's coming again. He's going to be born and save people from their sin the first time. The second time, he's coming to make all things right. Folks, they knew it in the gifts that they gave him. But the priests and the Pharisees, six miles away, if he was in Nazareth, 30 miles away, they didn't even come, they didn't even check. That's the difference. That's the difference in people because Jesus makes us all make a choice, doesn't he? Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace. We sing a lot of songs at Christmas time, peace on earth, huh? And that's what the angels declared, peace on earth. What's that peace, with us or with God? Because what Jesus Christ does for us is he gives us peace with God. We who were at one time at war with God are now made near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. He gives us peace through that sacrifice. And one day when he comes back, when the king returns, there will be perfect peace. There won't be any of it until then. Doesn't matter who you elect as president. It's not going to be peace. Peace. It's only going to be peace when Jesus rules and reigns on the throne of David. And that was prophesied here, and it will occur. But just like those first, those first believers, those first ones who were held on to the promise that a king is coming, you and I, we know a king came. We hold on to the promise that a king is coming back. That Jesus Christ is going to return And on that day, we will replace Christmas. We won't need Christmas anymore. Christmas will be every day. Because we will be with Jesus Christ. What greater gift is there than the one who who gives us all things, everything found in Him, in a relationship with Him? Well, we come back to the story. He gives them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, one of the reasons some people believe Jesus was in Nazareth is because that's a lot easier to do from Nazareth than it is from Bethlehem. But nonetheless, either place, it works. It works. They left, they didn't go back to Herod, is the point, right? They were told in a dream. Really? These three wise men, not Jewish guys, these three wise men from the East, you know, they were divinely warned by God? Yeah. Yeah, what do you think the Jews were before God called them? Gentiles. The, the fact that God moves and works among people that we don't know and understand, that's okay. The, the Word of God, guys, tells us one story. Not whoever God talked to in all of, man, all of man's history. It tells us one story. God's redemption of men. And it tells us that story as God works through the nation of Israel to bring the Messiah. And as the nation of Israel brings that Messiah, they'll reject that Messiah and that ushers in salvation for all of us. Whosoever will may come. And then Jesus Christ, the word of God declares Jesus Christ will return. He will call his church home in the rapture. Jesus is going to call, and we're going to go. Boom, we're gone with him. The Bible says we'll be with him forevermore. And then God will fulfill every promise he gave Israel in the next seven years. It's going to happen. Well, you can look at it and say, well, it's just words on a page. Or you can begin to live your life by it like these wise men did. It changed where they went, what they did, who they talked to made everything different. It changed their dreams. And so now, these dreams take them a different way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel, the Lord, appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. You'll notice when we read that story, we make the assumption that he's in Bethlehem. It doesn't have to be. It didn't say he was. Maybe he is. It's okay. If he is, good. God divinely warned him and he left. If he wasn't, if he was 30 miles away, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? God still said, take the child. Herod wants to kill him and go to Egypt. And I'll call you out of Egypt when it's safe. And Herod, who had spoken with his mouth... The, the same words, you know, I want to go worship him. Herod, who had the same scripture told to him, who knew the same things that the wise men knew, yet his heart hated Jesus. He hated what he stood for, and he desired to destroy him. That's what Jesus meant when he said, Think not I come to bring peace on earth, but a sword, for father will be divided against son, mother, daughter, The enemies of a man will be those of his own home. Why? Because when you choose to live your life for Jesus Christ, it makes a difference the way everyone else sees you. It changes how they look at you. It changes what they think of you. But before, you could do whatever you wanted and nobody cared. As soon as you start to make a stand for Jesus, everything you do wrong, they'll be happy to tell you about. You call yourself a Christian and you did that? You said that, you do this, you do that. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the dividing point. You are either for me, Jesus said, or against me. You are either for me or against me. Where was Herod? He was against him. This is not a new attack of Satan, is it? Revelation chapter 12 tells us that, that the great dragon, that red dragon, Satan, desired to devour the child at the child's birth, but he wasn't able to do that, so what does he do? He, he aims his anger and hatred toward the people through whom Messiah came. Satan tried to wipe out Israel a number of times. For example, you remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt? What happened to the babies then? They throw them to the crocodiles, remember? Remember? If you throw every male child to the crocodiles, how long before you don't have any more people left? Not very long. Babies will stop being born. So that was their work. That was was part of their plan. Here we see the same or a similar event taking place. So they go a different way. The dream warns them. (coughs) Joseph gets up and takes Jesus and Mary to Egypt. In verse 15 it says, And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, I want you guys to hold on to this. Because Hosea 11.1, 1, if you and I go there and we read it, it's talking about the nation of Israel. That the nation of Israel was sent to Egypt. They went to Egypt as a tribe. They came out as a nation, right? And so God says, out of Egypt, I will call my son, my son Israel. But the Holy Spirit tells Matthew that that was also speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. What does that mean? That means when you and I read prophecy, we've got to read prophecy with an eye that says, Hey, Lord, I want to understand all that you have to tell me in this verse. The exciting opportunity is that we have a chance to do that every Sunday night. Every Sunday night, we're going through all of the Old Testament prophets, starting at Isaiah and working our way through. Not tonight. we got a Christmas thing going on tonight, but starting next week. And we want to look at that. We want to see that. We want to realize all that God is speaking to us through the Old Testament and through His prophets. We want to be able to understand what is going on and how to receive that Word and be filled with the Spirit to guide us. Therefore, in verse 16... Then when Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children that were in Bethlehem, in all of its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So the wise men may have said, we saw the star a year ago, and Herod pads it and says, well, I'm going to kill all the kids two years and younger. Maybe they said, we saw the star two years ago. It's not something definitive that we can put our finger on, but we know that Herod, based on what the wise men told him, he slaughtered the innocent. Every child two years old and under, he sent his soldiers into Bethlehem. They kicked down doors, they drug children away from their mothers and slaughtered them in the street. That's a part of the Christmas story we don't hold on to so much, huh? Slaughtered them all. Why? Because Herod wanted to worship God, right? He wanted to worship the one who would be king forevermore. So influenced by Satan, he tries to kill the Messiah. Is that the last time that will happen? No. Throughout Jesus' ministry, aren't they going to try to kill him over and over and over again? Until one day, right? One day. One day when Michael the archangel is chained up in heaven. He wakes up and thinks it's just another day, you know, and he's going to watch over, you know, the Messiah. He's looking at God on earth and he sees the events about to take place. What stopped Michael from coming? God held him back. No, you stay here. Today's the day he will suffer and save his people from their sin. This sin that occurred on this night. Well, look what it says in verse 18. Therefore was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel. Rachel was mother of two of the tribes, Joseph and Benjamin. It's interesting that, that... Benjamin would be born in a place later on, would be called Bethlehem, born near it. And in that time, at that time, when Benjamin was born, Rachel's gonna die in childbirth, right? And she's gonna say, maybe prophetically, to her husband, Name him Ben Amin, son of my sorrows. But his father says, No, he shall be called Benjamin. Son of my right hand. You think of those two names and see if they don't apply to Jesus Christ. For he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and the son of my right hand. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. The tomb of Rachel is still there today. Rachel weeping for her children. Originally in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, this is the place from which the children of Israel went into captivity to Babylon. That's the place. They brought all the children of Israel to Bethlehem and they put them in chains and they took them into captivity. And Rachel was weeping then for her children, the children of Israel, were taken. But yet, when you consider that, it doesn't quite... fulfill everything until you plug Jesus Christ into it and the slaughter of the innocents. And all of a sudden, Scripture comes to light. Put Jesus in and it makes sense. Now verse 19, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose and and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, one of Herod's kids, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside to the region of Galilee and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Jesus is going to grow up in Nazareth. Now, maybe this is the first time, maybe that's where they kicked off from. Scripture doesn't tell us, so we shouldn't make any hard, solid points to that matter. But we want to hold on to the truth that he went there. And later on, people are going to say, The Messiah, he doesn't come out of Nazareth. Well, yeah, don't you pay attention? He was born in Bethlehem. They tried to slaughter him. Wise men came and brought him gifts. Understanding the work of Messiah... How is it that God was able to orchestrate all those things? How was God able to do that? Because God, folks, God cares about every single person on this planet. And you and I, we read the word. That doesn't encompass every word that God ever spoke to mankind. It just encompasses what we need to understand the work of salvation. But God did a work in the East and somehow revealed himself to these guys, didn't he? Somehow he he showed them what he was going to do. If he's done that, how many other places has he done that? How many other ways has he revealed himself? How many other ways has he spoken? How many ways? Book of Hebrews verse 1, chapter 1 says, God, who at various times and in various places has spoken to us through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through his son. Listen, God says that the story of Christmas is God's last word to us. How can he who has freely given us all things, his son, withhold anything from us? He has already given us the greatest Gift that there ever was. And he reveals that gift to you and I way back at Genesis chapter 3, Hosea 11, Micah 5, all throughout Isaiah. Man, if we study God's word, we're going to see this one thing that God wants us to have a relationship with him through the gift of his son. That his son was truly and factually born in Bethlehem according to the scriptures. He grew up in Nazareth. When he was 30 years old, he went out and began his three-year public ministry. I want you to fathom these facts for just a minute. Born in Bethlehem. He's the only one you know of ever born in Bethlehem. You ever heard of anybody else born in Bethlehem? That, that we still celebrate? That we still talk about? That we still, that we still gather over? No, nobody. He would, grew up in Nazareth. You ever seen Nazareth? Nazareth looks just like where we live, only smaller. Nazareth is tiny, tiny little community. Jesus then at the age of 30 goes about his public ministry and he never left the country of Israel. In fact, he spends all his time in Jerusalem and in Galilee in that region. That's it. That whole area encompasses approximately maybe 30 square miles. That's where he spent his whole life. And here you and I are 2,000 years later and we're still studying about this guy. Why? We don't study like that about anybody else. Why this one? Because he is the king. He is God in the flesh. Because God told us about it in Genesis and reveals it all the way through his scriptures, all the way to Revelation. And we hold on to that promise and we say, man, this is the truth. It's not a lie. What's Satan going to do with it? He's going to put that in every story you can ever read. You ever seen a story about a king that was king once and is coming again? The truth is, it's going to happen. Jesus will return, just like he left. How did he leave? Up in the air. And he's going to return the same way. The Bible says he's going to put his right foot on the Mount of Olives. His left foot, across the Kidron Valley. He's going to make the Dead Sea live again. All of the earth is going to go back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. That the lion and the the ox will eat straw. That the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. That a young child will play by the cobra's den. And that all these animals will gather in one place and a little child will be able to lead them. That's a promise God says is going to happen. The point is, don't let it just be head knowledge like the priests. Don't let it just be something I say, oh, yeah, I know this and I know this and I know this. It's got to move that 12 inches. It's got to get from your head to your heart so that, like the wise men, just like them, it changes what you do. It's not just something I know, it's something that changes what I do, where I go, how I speak, what did I give. How did I I affect this person or that person? Because when the Word of God was living and powerful in their lives, it changed what they did in the morning when they got up and where they went, who they talked to and how they talked to them. So the greatest gift you and I can give to our Savior today is that gift that we put Him in our heart. That we live our lives for Him. That we honor Him. And on that day, and that day will come, when Jesus Christ shouts from heaven, my name, and your name, our name. And the Bible says we're gathered together with Him in the air. When that day happens and I have my moment of glory standing with Jesus Christ face to face, I get to look into eyes. I can only imagine what they look like. I get to see a face I've never seen before, but in one, and in one or two whom I believe and, and give my whole life to, on that moment, in that second, in that day, as I hold him, as he holds me, I want to hear, well done, well done. Because I love Him. Not because it gives me anything. Not because it's somehow going to make me feel like I've earned my salvation. It hasn't. It hasn't. That salvation was freely given. It was wrought for me on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago as Jesus gave His life in accordance with the Scriptures for you and me. All we have to receive that salvation, all we have to do is believe. Period. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. You believe and you receive The gift of salvation. But what do you do with it? What do you do with the greatest gift that was ever given? In the gift of salvation given to you by God through His Son. What do you do with it? Is it on a shelf, neatly wrapped? Is it hidden somewhere? Keep it under the bed. What did you do with my son? It's the only question that God will ever ask. And our answer may our answer be, I shared that gift with everyone I could until I saw you face to face. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before You this morning. Father God, we come before You in this moment celebrating that that gift. The gift that was given of Your Son prophesied in Genesis, understood by wise men in the East. Somehow, knowing the Scripture, bringing those first gifts offered to our Messiah and to our King, they gave gifts. Lord, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity every day to be like those guys, to come to you, to seek you and to give our gifts before you, whatever they are, whatever they are that we can offer. Lord, may we come before you in this time, may we remember in this season, it's not about what we get. It's about what we give. So Lord, may we lay it out before you. Father, may we bring it to you. May we kneel down in that place, just like these wise men did so long ago. May we kneel down in that place and lay out before you our gifts, what we did with the gifts you gave us. What we did with salvation. So we have an opportunity in this place. This morning is as we just set aside the busyness and all the stuff that goes on this time of year for the most important thing, the most important question that will ever be answered. What will you do with my son? This morning we can we can set aside this moment and as we just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we we have a chance. If there's anyone here today who hasn't had the opportunity, who hasn't been able to Or has not come to that place where they've moved their head knowledge to their heart and they want to set aside this time, Lord, I'm coming to you with all I have and all I am. Lord, I want to present myself to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Lord, I want to to give you a gift. God doesn't want our stuff. He wants our heart. If you've never given your heart to the Lord while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you'd like to give your heart to Him today, you have an opportunity. If you would just raise your hand and make that gift to Him. Lord, I want to know You. Lord, I want a relationship with You. I present myself to You. We also have an opportunity this morning maybe we've made that choice. We've come to the Lord and we've said, Oh God, you know, I've, 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 I believe. But we've kept that. We've allowed that belief to stagnate in us and it's just sitting in our heads. And it's not pouring out of our hearts. If this morning that's you and you would like to rededicate, recommit, refocus, proclaim to God that I want to be like those who believe to the point that it changes the way I live my life. Would you raise your hand as well? Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for those who have raised their hands this morning for salvation, so much for those who have raised their hand in rededication. God, it's our prayer that you would make your Holy Spirit to move upon us in such a way, God, that our belief is not just in our head, that our belief changes the things we do. Lord God, we ask that you would be glorified in this place and in this season. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would pour out your Spirit and that we might affect our community, the ones whom we love. Father God, Lord, we pray that you would do such a work such a work here that, that Lord, that, that the ones whom we love and we care about day in, day out, their lives are affected because our lives are affected. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit. Lord God, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified in this season. That it's not happy holidays or none of that junk, it's Christmas. It's a time when we remember Christ. Christ mass the Meshiach the Messiah the promised one the king who was born and we thank you Jesus the king who is coming again and so we lift up this time to you we pray that you would be magnified and glorified in our lives as we offer them to you in Jesus name amen, amen. we're going to have a time of worship we invite you to hang out and worship with us we'll have the pre-